it with this statement today. Why are we Jonah? We are Jonah because we are runners. Now, maybe we don't all look like runners, <laughs> but we all run from God in some way, and God is calling us to do so much more with our lives. So I, I've been a little nervous this week about doing this message. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because it's the final week. I feel like there's so much to say to wrap it up. I don't know if it's just Satan trying to work on me and, and prevent me from doing God's call and preach to you. But I think I did come up with one big reason, and I'm sorry to bring attention to you, but my in-laws are in here somewhere, and they're visiting from Ohio. I got a little way from them. So make sure you welcome them from Ohio. But I think what it is, is I shared with you in my first week of preaching this series in Jonah, that this was a hard series to preach because the last time I went through teaching this series was when I remembered God was calling us to move away from Ohio. And that was a really hard step to do. So as I'm looking at my in-laws this morning, I remember that the last time they heard me talking about Jonah to them was when we came into their house and kind of shocked them with saying, we need to talk with you. We have something very serious to talk to you about. And they didn't know what it was. And we sat down at their kitchen table. Um, I believe uh, my kid's aunt, Katie, Christy's sister, had entertained the kids in the other room. And we just told them, we've been teaching through the book of Jonah lately. And it has made us realize that we're running away from God instead of running for God. And God's calling us to move away. God's calling us to do something very hard. And we continued, obviously, you know the rest of the story. We continued to tell them that we felt God calling us to start looking around for other churches and for a senior pastor position, and that may involve us moving. And it was a hard conversation. We are Jonah because we run. And either we're running for God or running away from God. Either we're running with God or running against God. So I'm going to give you just a little summary today. And there we are, of where we've been so far. We're starting with week number one, running away from God, or stop running. So we start off this series with reading Jonah chapter 1, where we read this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Now, Jonah did what? Jonah ran away from God. He should have, and he needed to stop running. It says, but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go over everything we've said, but I do want to bring attention to this. The plan of man is to flee and sink, but the plan of God swims and saves. And that was what the whole topic of chapter 1 was about, is Jonah, the man's plan was to flee. But what he didn't realize, what he didn't know, is his plan would lead to a boat, a great ship, full of mariners, almost sinking. He fled from God's plan, from God's will, and, and he tried to go as far away as he could. I showed you a map of his plan was to go approximately 2,500 miles in the total opposite direction of God's plan. God's plan would have only been going about 500 miles up north or northeast, 2,500 miles, 500 miles. He ran away, and he ran away hard. 
Never run when you can make a difference. That was another one of the slides from week one. Never run when you can make a difference. God wanted to use Jonah. Wow, talk about a blessing. God was so obvious, speaking into his life, calling him and commanding him, go to Nineveh, that great city, that city full of people that are wicked people, and preach against it, the message I give you. Preach against it. And yet he fled. We, too, flee. We run away from God. God calls us to do hard things. And we, we try and think about our own power that we have instead of realizing that God gives us the power to make a difference. Never run when you can make a difference. For that matter, we should never run at all. We just need to pray to God and ask God to help us in whatever we're going to. Well, this led to Jonah chapter 2 because at the end of chapter 1, God's throwing this great tempest upon the sea, this great storm upon the sea. And the mariners were so afraid that their ship was going to sink, they start throwing everything overboard. And finally, they're praying to their own gods, and they finally wake up Jonah and ask Jonah, What are you doing sleeping? Pray to your God that he might hear you. And the moment they hear the God that he serves, the one true God, they are just shocked and in awe, and they say, To pray to your God that we were not sink. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? And Jonah tells them to throw me overboard. Well, they didn't like that decision. Now, there's um, that, that idea, and there's a lot of different reasons they might not have liked the idea, but we'll go with one this morning. Why would you want to throw this man overboard? This is a man that God's throwing this whole tempest on the sea only because Jonah was going in the wrong direction. So God obviously cared about this guy, and now you want me to throw you over the sea and help, help to kill you? I don't think that's going to make God very happy. So they tried and tried and tried to go the other way to get to shore, but it just is not working. Because when you go against God, it doesn't work. So they finally throw Jonah overboard. And this is where Jonah chapter 2 is in, is running to God. As Jonah's sinking and sinking and sinking, he recounts right here his experience. Didn't, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. We talked about how God could take away your big fish problem, and we need to stop. We need to stop. We need to think about where we're at and why we're at or where we where we are, and then we need to make a change, and then observe, that was the O, we observe God's actions, and then we proceed into God's plans. Now, there's one thing I want to stress with that God could take away your big fish problems, because I know that can sound a little charismatic. Um, I had some people who did actually come to me and say, you have to watch and be careful with saying things like that. Because sometimes God doesn't take away your big fish problems. And I didn't mean it by that by any means. God could take away your big fish problems, but you need to submit to his plan. He was in a big fish of a problem because he wasn't submitting to God's plan. Now sometimes God still doesn't take away that big fish problem. Sometimes you still have consequences to your sins, to your actions. But here... We have this great example of what Jonah does in the middle of this big problem. 
I love this first verse. I called out to the Lord, and out of my distress, what did I find? He answered me. He was so excited that God answered him that he wasn't focusing on all the bad, woe is me, oh man, I'm stuck in the belly of a fish, what am I going to do? He didn't wallow in his own doubt, his own problems. Instead, he focused on God, and he prayed to God. So in his darkest day, his darkest nights, he focused on God. And that's chapter 2, while he's in this consequence from his sin, judgment from his sin, he's also being delivered from his sin and being delivered right back to the port to continue God's plan. Jonah 3 now was, we are Jonah running with God. We must preach the bad news to get to the bad news, to the good news. We must preach the bad news to get to the good news. So now Jonah gets spit out of the great fish, and he, he at the end of chapter 2, he redid his vow to God and said, I will do what you command. I will do your work. So God spits him off on the shore on dry land, and he has to go back up 500 miles to Nineveh and preach the bad news. But even though he only focused on the bad news, five powerful words, one powerful statement, an entire city came to know God. We must preach the bad news to get to the good news. We can't sugarcoat it. We need to tell people what they're in store for, but we also need to make sure we get to the good news. There's two sides of this. Either you focus too much on the bad news, and you only talk about the good, or you never talk about the bad news, and people need to know just how good the good news is. And now, when Jonah chapter 4, we are Jonah running against God. So, to recap, and then we'll open our Bibles and stand for Jonah 4. One, was running from God. Two, running to God. Chapter 3, running with God, as he ran to do God's work. But now in chapter 4, as we'll read, we'll see he was running against God. So, if you could please turn to Jonah 4, and please stand for the reading of God's word as we continue. Jonah 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I know, I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now... O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right from their left, and also much cattle? You may be seated. Thank you very much for standing, and I believe we should stand in respect to the authority of God's word. Have you ever been angry? We're going to start with this thought. I want you to picture in your head a time you were angry. And I think we've all been angry because it's an emotion we have. I almost said we've all been hangry. I guess I'm hungry. I'm again hungry. But have you ever been angry? And I mean so disappointed, so frustrated, so fuming that you just can't even think straight. You find yourself going off somewhere to pout. And here in chapter 4, we have a huge lesson on anger and disappointment frustration, and how God's judgment and justice system, God's justice and judgment is not always what we want, but it is what we need. God's justice and judgment is not always what we want, but it is what we need. Today we're talking about Jonah's anger and God's compassion. And when it comes to anger, there's two types of anger. There's righteous anger, and there's unrighteous anger. One is okay, and one is bad, but the problem is they can blend together, and we need to make sure that when it, we're angry, that it's in check, and it's rightful. It's righteous anger and not unrighteous. Unrighteous anger is what Jonah has in chapter 4, and this is bad. This is not okay. We're going to dig more into this in just a bit, but to start this off, I have a quote for you. Anger is the emotion you feel when an expectation of justice is not met. This really helps you to think about righteous anger versus unrighteous anger. It helps you to think about why do we get angry. We get angry because we feel like our expectation of justice or what's right or what should be happening is not met. And as a man, or at least as myself as a man, I won't blame all men, I know I have a way of when I get angry, I get quiet. And then when I get angry and quiet, I often find my own place. I go do my own thing. I go work on a project outside. I do something to get away from people because I'm afraid that I might explode if not. But sometimes that's bad. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's, it's good because it prevents you from exploding on somebody. But sometimes it's bad because it's not allowing you to really work through or talk through what's going on in your own mind. So we also have this. Anger can be a good thing. It can be good when under control and being righteously as God designed versus it being out of control and unrighteous as Satan desires it to be. Satan loves us to be angry, especially when our anger is not focused on something righteous, when our anger gets us away from God and his plan. So let's think about righteous anger as this, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Righteous anger would be something like Oh, William Wilberforce, if I remember his name right, in England when he decided that slavery was wrong. And he decided to start a movement to get rid of slavery. Without that anger getting started in, in him, we might still have slavery across the U.S., across the world today. Anger can lead to us 
leading a helping hand. So, for instance, another example of righteous anger might be when you see a child being mistreated. Maybe that's a child being beaten physically or emotionally abused. And your righteous anger that you get so upset with seeing how that child's being treated leads to you going to the proper authorities and reporting it. Or doing something to help and not just see it continue to be. Jesus had righteous anger as well in Matthew chapter 21 when he cleansed the temple because it was not right for people to make a marketplace out of the temple courts where we should be going to be worshiping God, to be focusing on him, to be meditating on his word. Unrighteous anger is dangerous. Righteous anger can be good because it makes a difference. It, it brings about a change in something that benefits people, something that glorifies God. Unrighteous anger does not glorify God. Sadly, many people struggle with this anger as they feel mistreated or they feel like their version of justice is not being done. And here we find Jonah. Jonah's expectation of justice is not being met and he has become angry with God. And this is a problem because unrighteous anger <clears throat> puts us at odds with God and his mercy. Unrighteous anger puts us at odds with God and his mercy because we begin to run against God and his plan instead of running with him. Through the reading of Jonah's experiences with God here in chapter 4, we learn that we need to submit our anger to him and we need to properly direct our energy to his plan because the more energy we're devoting to against his plan, the more we're just running against the wind, paddling against the, the current. So in chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now we've talked a lot about our own emotions. Now we're talking about Jonah's emotions. Here we have it. Jonah is angry. We don't even have to guess about this. We don't even have to guess, how's Jonah feeling right now? Because God tells us right here, it's wrote, Jonah is displeased and exceedingly angry. And Jonah is running against God. But we do have to ask ourselves, why? You see, chapter 4 does not start out telling us why is he displeased, why is he angry? So we look to the previous chapter to see this. And after all, if you look to all the previous chapters, you see, there should be no reason why Jonah would be angry. After all, Jonah, despite running from God, was pursued by God. And not just pursued, but he was rescued from his own condemnation, his own judgment, his own, his own penalty. God forgave him and allowed him to live. But then not just that, God gave him freedom from his fishy problems. And then God also still used him. He had a lot to be happy about, but instead we read he's exceedingly displeased and angered. So we look to chapter 3, verse 8 on as we read, Call out mightily to God, let everyone turn from his evil way, and this is the king speaking, or the governor at the time, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce angle, anger. So that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. There's a summary of the end of chapter 3, and I love where he says, Who knows? Who knows? God may just turn and relent 
from, his, from the destruction he has planned from us. God may. He may. They didn't even know for sure if God would turn and change his mind anyways, but they did it. They turned. So back to the question, why is Jonah displeased? And we read exceedingly displeased. And not just displeased, but angered. Because the people of Nineveh cried out to God for mercy? No, maybe, maybe part of it. Because God chose to not have Nineveh overthrown? Yes. Jonah is exceedingly displeased in God's actions, God's decision not to overthrow Nineveh. And you think that this would be great news. I mean, this really is great news. God just had mercy on an entire great City. The repentance of, of Nineveh should have thrilled Jonah, but instead he was quite angry. Jonah was just used by God for the largest revival to possibly be ever heard about, ever known. Bigger than any Billy Graham crusade, anything I could dream up, but this wasn't me dreaming up. This wasn't Billy Graham. This was God's work, and God's work through Jonah. I think to myself, and maybe you guys can picture yourself as Billy Graham or some great revivalist, some great preacher preaching to a great city and they all come to turn away from their wicked ways and they turn to God. And I think to myself, wow, thank you, Lord, for using me in this way. But instead we see Jonah. Wow, God, thanks for using me in this way. I'm displeased with you. I'm angered with you. I'm exceedingly angered with you. This truly was great news. God is merciful. But here lies the problem. Jonah did not want them to receive the news and to change their ways. Jonah wanted justice and judgment. But he wanted Jonah's version of justice and judgment. Jonah did not want them to have the mercy that he received off that ship and through that fish. Jonah wanted them to be punished. He wanted them to be killed. That's possibly the reason from the very beginning we see Jonah fled as far away from Nineveh as possible because he wanted to see God just destroy that entire area. And this is what happens when we don't get our way. We begin to throw a temper tantrum and try to wait it out. We try and talk about it. So as we read on, we see in verses 2 to 4, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and resenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So I think there's several different steps to your anger. I already shared one step of my anger, and maybe a lot of you's, of uh, you out here in the congregation is when you get angry, you get quiet. That might be a first step. Then maybe you, you go off to a quiet place to try and work through your feelings on your own, to calm down. Some people might count to ten. I know my dad growing up, uh, my mom would help him control his anger. My mom would always remind him, don't sweat the small stuff, honey. I think that was a big book back in the 90s. Don't sweat the small stuff. Count to ten. Don't focus on the anger. Focus on getting over the anger. Well, here we see Jonah and his anger. But Jonah doesn't just go to this next little step. Jonah really takes it up a notch. And Jonah begins to pray to God. And he let God have an earful too, didn't he? Like a disrespectful, 
immature child who does not know the rightful place. Picture your, your kids talking back to you after a decision. Picture yourself maybe as a child when you used to speak back to your father, your mother, your parents, because I know I did that a lot. A lot of my problems with my parents were because I was very independent and I wanted my own way. And I thought I knew what was best. So I spoke back to my dad a lot. And here we have Jonah doing just this. And he tells God, I told you this would happen. This is exactly why I didn't want to do this in the first place. I knew you would do this. You always give in. You always show mercy. You never follow through like you say you, you would. You know, I think of my own kids, and they say things like this, too. Um, but you can think of your own kids. You can think of your own childhood when you did this. You love so-and-so more than me. I know I've heard that a few times, and I know I've said that a few times, too, right? Jonah is acting like a whiny, immature, disrespectful child, and God allows him. I want to focus on that. God allows him to get it all out. But Jonah will not be the only one talking here in chapter 4. God will talk through this with him, and God will make him think about his thoughts and actions. In Jonah 1, God speaks to Jonah. Go and do this. In Jonah chapter 2, we have Jonah speaking to God and praying to God and praising God in the belly of the fish. In Jonah chapter 3, we have God speaking through Jonah and to the great city of Nineveh. Well, now we have Jonah chapter 4. And in Jonah 4, Jonah and God are speaking together. So Jonah starts it out as he's praying to God, speaking to God. God will make him realize the error in his ways, though, once God begins to speak to him. So allow me to remind you this. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God's thoughts are higher than ours, and we can never even begin to understand we are dumb in comparison to his thoughts. In Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. That's pretty high. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours. We must learn that God's ways are the best ways. We can't even begin to understand God's ways. God is God. We are sinful human beings who continually run from God. Now, maybe when we're running to God, we're running with God, we can begin to understand because we're listening to what God's telling us to do. But when we're running against God, as Jonah is doing now, and especially when we're running away from God and we're fleeing from him, we're not having God speak into our life because we're ignoring him. We're toning him out. We're putting on our metaphorical headphones and cranking up the heavy metal, cranking up whatever music we can because we don't want to listen to what God's telling us to do. We need to bring back that STOP acronym that we've been referencing throughout this series in Jonah. Stop running. Think about where you are and what you need to do. And then observe God's work as you follow his way and proceed to follow him. Jonah could use this advice as we do as well. We also need to understand something else though. The very thing that Jonah is complaining about, God's character, is the very reason that we should be praising God. The very reason that he should be praising God. Numerous times in scripture we see that God is compassionate and gracious. 
He is slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and forgiving of wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. In 1 Timothy 2.4, we see God desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. But not all people will. In 2 Peter 3.9, we see God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, numerous times in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have these illustrations of God desiring to be compassionate upon his people. God being patient with his people and showing love to his people when they don't deserve. Jonah's quoting from this as he's throwing his little temper tantrum. This is exactly why he didn't want to do this. I knew your character. I knew you love your people. I knew you'd forgive them. But I didn't want them to be forgiven. <clears throat> we also finally see the real reason why Jonah fled to begin with. And we talked about this, but we didn't get to the proof yet. And here we're getting to the proof, the evidence. He's now admitting it. Jonah fled because from the very beginning, he did not like God's idea. He did not want these people to get mercy, and he knew that God is a merciful God. Jonah allowed his personal feelings against the Ninevites to get in the way of doing God's will and God's plan for his life and their life. And we do the exact same thing in our life. We allow our own personal feelings, our own personal plans, to get in the way of God's plan, God's perfect plan. We love to reference this verse, Jeremiah 29 Verse 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We love to think God has a plan for our life. But we only seem to like that plan when it coincides with our plan. We stop too soon too. We need to realize that God's plan is shown to us when we're seeking God with all our heart. Because we're not looking for our own plan, we're looking for God's plan. We think we know better than God. The one who created everything and it has power over everything. Isn't that funny? Just like chapter 1, where we see God has power over the sea. In chapter 2, where we see God has power over the fish. God has power over all of his creation. And here in chapter 4, we're going to see... How, Jonah, how God still has power over his creation. When we talk back to our parents, the very one who created us and have lived through everything we're living through, we see this exact example. We think we know better than God, the one who's done it all. When we talk back to our parents as Jonah's talking back, we're doing the same thing. God knows best. Jonah is now running against God. And I say he's running against God because he's not liking what God's plan is. He's not wanting to continue in God's plan. He's definitely not wanting to support God's decision. It's like when someone runs against the wind or they row against the current. You get nowhere, or at least you make it a lot harder to get somewhere. Jonah should not be surprised by, good, by God's mercy. Jonah takes his anger a step further, too. But Jonah should not be surprised by God's mercy because Jonah receives that very same mercy. Plus, Jonah knows God's character. So we read next, from verse 3 to 4, God begins to speak back. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now, I noticed something here. And first, this point, your unrighteous anger will make you feel as if life is not worth living. But life with God is the only way to live. And that's Jesus. The only way to live is Jesus. The only way to truly have eternal life and be saved from our sins, saved from our problems, saved from our eternal suffering, persecution, damnation, and hell is to trust in Jesus, to profess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior because of the cross, because of him paying the price for our sins. The only way to truly have life is with God, not away from God. But Jonah's statement, again, reminds me of childhood. Well, this isn't fair. I might as well just die. This isn't right. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. I don't like this life anyways. No one loves me anyways. This is not the right way to think, though, and it's selfish. And not only selfish, it's not what God desires. God doesn't desire to give up on life. God desires you to fight for life. And you fight with life by fighting with him and not against him. But I somewhat also find this amusing. God's command to him at the very, be- be- at the very end of that verse or his statement, a very brief statement. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Here's why I see I'm amused by this. You see, Jonah stops talking after this. At least momentarily, Jonah stops talking. The very next thing we see is verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So, God says his one statement, Do you do well to be angry? I, again, think of myself as a parent, or I think of my dad when he was getting on me for something I did, and I think of me saying, seriously, are you talking back to me? After what you just did, after all I just saved you from, are you really trying to judge my actions? Are you really? Jonah is baffled. Jonah is speechless. He finally realizes that he cannot talk and get his way. So instead, he decides to go pout. He goes off to his quiet place, right? (laughs) He thinks, I'm going to go find another way to try and get God to see my side of things, to get God to see my point. So he goes out of the city, but not too far. After all, he wants to be seen, and he wants to see what happens to the city. I think he somewhat thinks, well, fine, I'll show God. I'm going to wait here, and I'm going to wait and see how the Ninevites turn away from God. They may be turning to God now, but give it a day or two. They're turned back to their evil ways. Or maybe he thinks this. Maybe he thinks, I'm just going to go sit here and let God see how upset I am. You ever done that when you're angry? I know I do. Oh, well, I'm going to let so-and-so tell that I'm angry, and I'm just going to give them the silent treatment. Or I'm going to go off and work in the yard so that they know I don't want to talk to them right now. Well, here we have Jonah going outside of the city in a way, but just far enough away that God could, he could, if he sees Jonah's side, he could destroy the city, and he'd be safe because he's outside the city. But he's still close enough for all to see and for him to see too because he still honestly thinks or at least wants to think that God's going to destroy the city because Jonah wants him to. 
He is like a child who's told to give something up, but they just can't let it go. He's like us even as adults, as we know the best thing to do is to not continue looking to the past, but to look to the future. When somebody tells us you need to move on, but we continue to dwell in that past and allow it to affect how we look to the future. God's plan always has a bright future. A future filled with the hope of life and eternity spent with him. I want you to focus again on the end of that statement. Because I'm not here to preach the prosperity gospel and just say, Oh, just give to God your money, give to God your time, serve him, and everything will be great. No, we still live in a sin-filled life, a sin-filled world, and we're still going to have suffering. But we know we will have a bright future when we follow God, and we follow his plan, and that future will be filled of eternal life, and eternal life spent with him. One problem, Jonah is running against God. He's not falling in line as he should, because he does not want the Ninevites to have God's plan. Jonah has a real problem was God showing anybody mercy but him? Or at the very least, God, Jonah has a real problem with God showing mercy to anybody but to the Israelites, to God's people. He did not want God to save these people who are known for being some of the worst enemies to God's people. They're persecuting the, God's people. They're hurting God's people. They're killing God's people. When you have unrighteous anger... You want judgment upon others that you would not want for yourself. Next, we see the booth as we begin to wrap up here. Or his shelter that he built. And again, I find this funny because in chapter 1, we see Jonah runs from God's plan by getting on a boat. Boats are not notoriously stable vessels, right? I mean, they can easily capsize, and you're getting on a boat, on a boat in the middle of a, of a great sea, the Mediterranean Sea. God controls the sea. God controls the weather. And then we see what happens. Jonah eventually gets thrown in the sea because of that. Well, now we see Jonah. He's building himself a booth, a small shelter, outside of the city in a desert. He's nowhere near the city, the great city, to have the shelter of its walls to help block the eastern wind. We read this. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Okay, well first, I'm sorry, I skipped forward just a little bit. It would have been best for Jonah to build his booth, his shelter in the city. But he wanted to be outside of the city because he wanted his own plans to be done instead of coming in line with God's plan. But because he did this, he put him at a place of God to, to make this great scorching east wind come upon him. The desert heat come upon him. And I'm guessing he did not really have the time, the materials to really build a sufficient shelter. Most people believe the shelter was just uh, very quickly thrown up, maybe four big branches and then some trees and some leaves on top. What you would think on a survival show that somebody builds just to keep them alive in the middle of a jungle or something. So it's not very strong. It's not sturdy. It's not very protective. And now the eastern wind hits him. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort of the heat and that wind. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So that 
But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. This again shows us God's power over creation. It's another miracle, as God controls not just the wind and the heat and this this scorching east wind, but he also controls a plant to grow big enough to shade this man in a day's time. But then he also controls this worm to eat up this plant and wither it away. Most people believe this plant could have been like a castor oil plant or a palm tree plant, but it really doesn't matter what type of plant it is. What we need to see is God's power over creation and how God used this plant to teach, to teach Jonah a lesson. So first, God spoke to Jonah with his, with his voice as he spoke to him. Do you really do well to be angry? <laughs> angry enough to want to die. And now... Jonah's crying out to God because of this plant. You took away the plant. This plant made me happy and you took it away. And it's funny how Jonah keeps creating his own problems by running against God's plan. And we do the same thing. We, we create our own problems every single day. When Jonah is given God's blessings and mercy, he's happy. But when God's will does not turn out to be pleasant for him, he turns to thinking life just is not worth living. And God continues to show him mercy. And now God is trying to point out to Jonah how blessed he has been with the mercy he has been shown. We need to see how much we like mercy in our own lives and how our lives would be without it. Because we need to be able to see how much other people need the very same mercy. And then we need to help them find it. Your unrighteous anger will make you miss opportunities to be merciful the way that God is merciful. And as Jonah speaks back to God this time, God now brings it all together. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you really do well to be angry for this? I mean, after all, I created this. But no, Jonah says, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, he's talking back to God, but quite forcefully this time. And the Lord said, he put him in his place, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah is still trying to understand the magnitude of the scene here. He's still struggling to understand God's point. Jonah is so concerned over himself and the plant dying because it was providing for him that he's not seeing that God's trying to teach him a lesson. God's trying to show how much he cares for Nineveh, for the Ninevites, the great city of 120,000 people. And most time in these, in these sayings, we find that that could have just been the adult men and boys. Most scholars say, research says, it could have been over 600,000 people, if you include women and small children, who do not know the right from their left. Or it could be that those who do not know the right from left is just God referring to them have, as people who are so confused to the knowledge of God and his ways, 
that they needed God's help. They needed Jonah to proclaim. But God was ready to spare Sodom if just ten righteous people were to be found. And here we have guaranteed 120,000 people found. And here we also have much cattle. Does this tell us that God cares about the cattle too? I think so. God cares about his creation, his animals, as well as the people. But I think it also could be this. I like this thought that one person said. I, I can't remember who it was, but they said, maybe God was just giving him this final statement. If you do not care enough about my people because of your own pride and your own anger against the Ninevites, then surely you can care about the cattle. I heard that, and I thought it was funny, but it was intriguing. Well, if you have so much anger against these people, at least show some compassion on my creation, my animals. But the chapter ends here. Our thoughts do not, but the chapter ends here. We don't know what Jonah ended up doing. Did Jonah repent and ask forgiveness again? Did Jonah go on being displeased with the Lord? This shows us, though, that our own self-centeredness, our own lack of love to others is just like Jonah's. We continue to look to our own plan. And when we do it, we run against God's plan. We need to turn around and run with God, not against God. We run from hard things. We are Jonah because we run from hard things. And I want to ask you, what are you running from? What are you avoiding? What is God trying to tell you? Because we need to seek his guidance, his knowledge, and his plans. We need to submit our whole heart to him. We are Jonah. Are you running from God? Are you running against God? Or are you running with God and for God? We need to seek his guidance, his knowledge, and his plans. Submit yourself to him. Put up your white flag and surrender. Maybe that means that you watch out for injustice in the world so that you can have a righteous anger about something. But be sure that your anger truly is placed in the right direction. Or maybe it just means that you need to stop ignoring God, stop putting on those headphones, and start listening to what he's trying to tell you. We must run with God. Seek his guidance, his knowledge, and his plans. Let us pray.